0: we starting again on Deception in the Church. I think this is about part 19. So this is the 19th sermon. And um, I'm continuing on from last week where we spoke about the type of a minister and the type of a church that is very dangerous to be in where they themselves will accept and believe the doctrine and the teachings on repentance, but they're not passing it on. Now we've been looking at Babylon coming into the church, the system of Babylon and its teachings coming into the church. And we've seen that the mask that it's using currently in the world is postmodernism. And attached to that philosophy is all these different kinds of teachings that are coming in and impacting the church. And they're especially targeting four areas, and these are the four areas we've been teaching on. And now, we are, now Carolyn and I are coming into the last of the four areas Who is Jesus, the Word of God, the cross of Christ, and and we're looking at a lifestyle of sanctification, an ongoing lifestyle of sanctification. Now, this particular sermon and the next one or two sermons are going to be about a a, a, a type of attack against the teachings of sanctification. And essentially, sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life, implementing the effects of the cross in your life over your lifetime. In other words, making you more and more like Jesus. Now, one of the doctrines that the enemy uses is antinomianism. So I'm going to teach you about what antinomianism is today, very briefly. And then I'm going to teach you what I believe it's look, it looks like in the church today, a particular type of manifestation. So for example, I taught you about who Jesus is, and I showed you a, a, an attack against who Jesus is, where people are coming along and saying, and they're bringing in Gnosticism, coming along and saying, I'm a little Jesus. And so this is what we've been doing. Once we finish this, there's a, there'll be about two or three sermons on this, and I'm still checking to see if I'm going to do a series in this on sin, repentance, and redemption, just to bring it in so the people in the podcast can begin to understand the importance of the continued work of the Holy Spirit in your life throughout your lifetime. Once we finish this, we will then begin to wrap up the series, and we will talk briefly about cults, and we'll talk about the, th- the three general types of leaders you will find in a church. And we will talk about the three general types of congregation members that you will find in a church and look at their susceptibilities to Babylon and Babylon's teachings. And then we will finally end off the series by judging Babylon. How do we judge? Can we judge? Are we allowed to judge? So that's what you've got looking forward to. All right, so let's look at antinomianism. This is a teaching that I believe is coming into the church and it's a very, very dangerous teaching no matter what form it comes in on and it's starting to affect a large number of people within the church. Now this is my personal opinion. The effects of antinomianism when I look out at the church, I listen to what people are saying. I look at social networks and I look at what people, the comments on people What what, what they are commenting on when they're discussing certain topics regarding the things of the Bible and things of the Lord. And I look at what people are actually saying. And so when I look out on the church, I see that many people are sitting in churches today, but in actual fact, they are sitting like animals in a pen ready for slaughter. And they are awaiting a Judas goat to come and lead them into the slaughter fields of hell and damnation for eternity. And the Judas goat is that preacher, that wolf in sheep's clothing, that is going to come along and promote the doctrines of Babylon. And I've told you all what Babylon is. I've given you three sermons on Babylon. So the antinomianist believer... Believes that because of Jesus Christ's obedience on the cross and because of his sufferings, Jesus satisfied all the demands of the law and that the believer now is free from observing any obligation to the law. They believe that the believer is free from keeping any of the stipulations of the law in their life. They they believe that they are only bound by their own conscience in these matters. They deny that there is any law in their life because of what Jesus did. And that they say that they are within grace and they are walking under the grace and in the grace of God. And therefore, no matter what they do, God will forgive them, and God has already forgiven them, and it's taken place already on the cross. So, according to the antinomianists, no further effort on your part generally is needed. You don't have to worry about discipline, you don't have to worry, in my understanding, about discipleship. Christ has done it all. That's a honey trap. You've all heard the story of about the tar baby trying to catch the rabbit. So the, 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 I think it's the wolf sets up this tar baby that looks like the rabbit. And the rabbit thinks, oh, this is my family friend. And so he comes and he starts touching the tar baby and his hand touches the tar baby and it gets stuck. This is what Babylon does. Sets up tar babies. Antinomianism Is a tar baby because it will ensnare you into thinking that you do not need the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to to, to further the sanctification process until the day you die. And so it leads people into living a sanctification less life. Very dangerous. Um, I got a call the other day, a couple of weeks ago while I was doing this sermon series by a friend of mine in the north side who runs a church calls me, every now and then he calls me and uh, he called me this day and he said come have a coffee so I went over and had a coffee with him and he he started talking to me about the series on deception that I was giving and he said to me this, I want to thank you for what you're doing I want to thank you for what you're preaching out there and getting this message out there and he says I want to tell you something I have lost two small groups already. Within those small groups, about seven families each, gone from our church because of this deception. It's happening here in our area already. The scripture that the antinomianists grab hold of can be found in Romans, and you can see it on the screen there, Chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now I want to read it out of the Amplified Version as well. For sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you, since now you are not under law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. The problem with the antinomianists using that scripture is, unfortunately, and very, very sadly, they misinterpret that scripture when they apply it to their lives. I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about their beliefs about two or three times, so that you gain an understanding of the core belief. Because I want you to understand essentially what makes up their belief system. Because every now and then. They will put a camouflage out there that might be new. I might say, today the camouflage is this, but Babylon will alter that camouflage all the time. So you need to understand the mechanics of exactly what they believe. So when they come along and they say to you, listen, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his suffering... He completed and satisfied all the demands of the law. Therefore, I am free from observing the law. The minute you hear something like that, the alarm bell needs to go on and your filter needs to come up to strength and you need to start questioning them regarding exactly what they are talking about. And if they mention Romans chapter 6, then you really need to take care because they believe that they are free from keeping the law. They believe that the only thing that they need to be dictate to them on their behavior is their own conscience. I'm under grace. God has forgiven me. Therefore, I do not have to pray for forgiveness anymore. I've done it once. It covers it for all time. So no effort is needed on my part. I don't have to worry about sanctification. I don't have to worry about disciplining myself or judging myself. It's done. And that's the honey trap. Excuse me. As usual, the problem with these promoters of this type of doctrine, the problem with these wolves in sheep's clothing, is they don't tell you fully what the true teaching is. So I'm going to give you three points, three brief points, about this doctrine, about the law. I'm going to tell you the truth about it. The first thing is this. Now, I want you to, I want you to get this into it. If you can understand this, all right, you will be able to identify an antinomianist teaching off the bat, just like this. Okay. The law of God is a printed version of the holiness of God. All right. God's law is not some arbitrary set of rules to make us jump through hoops. God's law is a printed version of the characteristic of holiness that he possesses. The law then demands from us as a moral rule, and those demands are unchangeable. Now here, listen to this. Only as a system of judicial penalty has it been done away with in Christ. Do you follow? Do you see what I'm saying? Only as a way of salvation has it been done away with in Christ. Think about that now. All right, think about that now. I've come to fulfill the law. That's what Jesus says, and he's done it. You see, there's the law. If you break the law, there is the punishment. If you get into Christ, the punishment doesn't affect you. There's the law, and there is the way of salvation through the law to God. If you don't want to keep the way of salvation through the law, which you've already broken by the time you get born, only in Christ can you get to God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me himself for me. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Colossians 2.14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2.15, and free those who all lived their lives, were held in slavery by their fear of death. God's holiness does not change. Therefore, His law does not change. It is a rep- written represent- representation of His holiness. It does not change. But because of the cross and us stepping into redemption, being redeemed by Christ, and repenting and going through the process of repentance, the penalty of breaking the law does not fall on us. And I don't have to keep all the legislation of the law to see God. I have to get into Christ to see God. So the first thing that they do not understand is that the law is a a written representation of God's holiness. The second thing is this, and this blows my mind. When I get into Christ, through union with Christ, not only do I secure my freedom from the penalties of sin as dictated by the law, I actually receive the spirit of obedience from Jesus. Think about that now. Just try, and, just try and let that settle in your head. The spirit of obedience from Christ, He actually gives it to me so that I can fulfill the requirements. Romans chapter 8, 9, verse 9 to 10 and verse 15. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, sense, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 1 John 1, 6. This is an interesting one. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. 1 John 3, 6. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Okay, so the law, number three, this freedom from the law that the Bible talks about is simply a freedom from the constraints and bondage of the law. Okay, so let's look at Psalm 119 verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. What a change. What a change. What a shift in mentality. Romans chapter 3 verse 8 and verse 31. Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Romans chapter 6, 14 to 15 and verse 22. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. You need to go and meditate on that, that passage of Scripture. It is a powerful passage of Scripture. Romans 7:6. by now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So let me me summarize what I've just shared with you. I've got two points. In point number two, I've got three sections. Point number one, Christ does not free us As the antinomians say, from the law as a rule of life. Let me repeat that. I've given them enough breaks to actually break this up and misquote me, but never mind. Christ does not free us, as the antinomians say, from the law as a rule of life. Point number two. Christ does free us from the law as a system of curse and punishment. He did this by becoming the curse for us and by taking the punishment for us. You see, the law is here, and the penalty for breaking the law is death. What that means is you are eternally separated from God forever. That's it. You are done. If you break the law, that's what's going to happen to you. And the destination of the lawbreakers is the destination that God prepared for Satan and his angels, and that's the lake of fire. I want you to think of this now. You know a bee. A bee's got a sting. But that sting can only be used once. So here we have the law. Just imagine that this Bible is the law. And each one of you is standing in front of me in one line, and this Bible... It's going to do two things to you. It's going to judge you according to what it says, and then it's going to either sting you, or it's going to let you free. So if you've broken what's in the book, it's going to sting you once only. That's it. Once. It's going to sting you once. Or it's going to set you free. Okay. So now, I want you to imagine something. In front of you, there are three doors. Door number one is this glitzy door. It's like Las Vegas. It's got lights. It's got showgirls. It's got whatever you want, it's got there, and it says this is the staircase to heaven. This other door is this stark, really minimalist door called the law and you open this door and instead of a staircase to heaven there's this sheet of pure glass going up vertical for you to climb up to get to heaven. You're not going to do it. See the minute you open the door you're done. The minute you get born you're done. you failed already. And then there's on this door here there's this elevator called being in Christ and all you have to do get in the elevator now what are you going to choose so now the law which you have broken is going to release its penalty on you or on Jesus you choose that's the freedom God's given you you choose world are you listening you choose either you are going to take that penalty into yourself and suffer the consequences of that penalty, or you are going to allow Jesus to do it, which he has already done on the cross. Now that is what it means by Jesus fulfilling the requirements of the law. Without the cross of Jesus in your life, the penalty of the law is going to be fully and completely extended and pierced into your life. And you will pay it completely, and you will pay it for eternity. So no matter what the Babylonians are trying to teach you, either you are going to pay for it or Jesus is going to pay for it because no one else is going to step up onto that line. And so Christ does set us free from the penalty of breaking the law. Second point, Christ sets us free from having to use the law as a means of salvation. And he did this by making his obedience our obedience. He gave us the spirit of obedience, he gave us the spirit of adoption. So Christ sets us free from having to trust in our obedience from fulfilling the law by taking His obedience into us. And then He begins to write the law on our heart that it becomes something automatically that we do and it manifests in the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the problem with going through the law's method to get to heaven is just one problem. The minute you come out of the womb as a baby, you've already failed because you're born a sinner. Living by the law is impossible. You've already sinned. You are already guilty of breaking the law, and you are already condemned Because you've broken the law and your condemnation is eternal separation from God. By faith in what he has done, by accepting what he has done personally for us, he secures us a place in heaven. All you have to do is get into Christ. That's the second thing. The the third thing that Christ frees us from is any outward compulsion to obey God. You see, the law tells us you have to do this you have to do that you have to do the other and our obedience it's impossible for us to keep that we'll never keep it so Jesus gives us the spirit of adoption he gives us the spirit of obedience he writes it in our heart and then we can say like the psalmist man I love your law I love living like this. And we are free from the compulsion of the law because we can realize that the law, because of Jesus, is now in our hearts. And it's something that is part of our lifestyle because we have the nature of Christ in us now. John 14, 21. You can see it on the slide there. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show, them, show myself to them. The antinomianists and the teachings of Babylon are there to steal your destiny. As an individual, I want you to take, pay special attention to what I'm going to share with you now. Do not allow the Babylonians to rob you of your destiny. Let's look at this passage in Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12 to 6. Now that I've already obta- not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal... But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. There's a Greek word in there called teleos. Find it in verse 12 and verse 15. And what teleos means is completed. Having reached the end. I've reached the end. I've teleosed. I've finished. I've completed. I've been made perfect. Um, If you're talking about adults, I'm a full-grown adult. I'm not an underdeveloped person. If you're talking about someone in the church, I'm a fully-fledged disciple, baptized in water, in the Spirit, functioning fully in the purposes of God. I'm not a Christian still struggling with habits that are sinful or under instruction. So in verse 12, Paul is saying... I have not arrived. But there is something pushing me on always. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. I want you to think about this in Paul's life. Paul is writing this now, okay? Now, Paul at one stage, had a purpose in life that actually set him on a collision course with Jesus Christ. But he was fully convinced in his purpose. He was going to eradicate Christianity from Israel. He was going to destroy by persecution or any means and so he started rising up in the ranks of the Sanhedrin as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so eventually he so persecuted the church in Jerusalem, they scattered, and he had no one, no one else to persecute, that he decided, oh, I'm gonna go and go up to Damascus and, and give them a good going over. So he got letters from the Sanhedrin, got onto his horse, got his group together, and off they went. And on the road, he had this collision. Lucky for him, he had the collision while he was living because oftentimes there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing that will collide with Jesus after their death, and that is an eternal separation for them. So anyway, we all know the story. People watching see a sudden flash of light and a clap of thunder. Paul sees a sudden flash of light. He goes blind. He falls from his horse and he hears Jesus speaking to him or he hears a voice speaking to him. And in verse five to six on the slide, you will see a conversation aspect I want you to note here. Who are you, Lord? Saul said, Saul asked, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting replied, now, I want you to notice the underlined part. So for the podcast, I've underlined the words, now get up, and I've underlined, you will be told what you must do. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. Now, get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Wow. Wow. What an introduction to gentle Jesus, meek and mild. (laughs) A disciple or a person who has truly seen Jesus, who has grasped and understood who Jesus is and has had an encounter of some kind with the risen Savior, Will be a disciple that will never allow Babylonian teachings, especially like antinomianism, coming to their lives to weaken them to spiritual passivity and sin indulgence. You see, antinomianism is the church's form of entitlement. Don't worry, the government's got it covered. Don't worry. Jesus has got it covered. If you've truly had an encounter with Jesus Christ, I can assure you the Babylonian doctrines, the Babylonian teachings, and the Babylonian teachers will never be able to come and persuade you through any teaching of theirs to enter into a spiritual passivity and a sin indulgence. And so Paul comes along and he's writing to the Philippian church and he says, listen guys, I've not reached it. Now here is a guy who had a purpose. His purpose changed. He wrote a few letters and he became one of the most influential people in history. And people are still discussing and writing and talking and teaching about what he wrote. And he wrote a couple of letters. That's all he did. And he says, I keep pressing on. I keep pressing on to do the things that I have been told I have to do. That is my purpose, that is my mission. And that is a result of his encounter with the risen Christ. This is the thing that binds me to doing the work that I do. Do you think I'm well paid? <laughs> Obviously not. (laughs) What do you think drives me? What do you think gets me up in the morning? What do you think motivates me? I have had an encounter with my Savior. And I will never stop pressing on to do what I have been asked to do. I will never allow a person to frustrate me. I will never allow a teaching to come in and frustrate my, my purpose in God because I've had a personal encounter with my risen Savior and I keep continually pressing on. Every person somehow, way, has had an encounter with Jesus. You somehow, way, have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You have been confronted by the risen Savior, and the risen Savior has given you great purpose. What is your response to that command? You see, that command came from a king to a soldier. Do you press on into this purpose or do you allow someone to trip you up? Do you allow someone or something or some teaching or some habit cut you off? You see, Paul gives us a clue here on two things. In terms of how he presses in, how he gets to the end, how every day he wakes up and pushes on, how he's in chains and how he'll still get up the the next day and the next day and the next day and keep on pushing on. And he gives us a clue in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. And he says, two things forget what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I do not rest on the laurels and victories of the past and allow them to get me to relax. I do not let the failures of my past make me disqualify myself to say, oh, well, it's just going to end in failure anyway. I do not let any person or relationship hinder The purpose God has given me in my life, no matter what that relationship is. I will not allow any teaching to come across my path that will hinder me from fulfilling that purpose, that encounter with Jesus, getting that commission. Nothing is going to cut me off because I'm going to press into Jesus and do what He's asked me to do. I press on we as men are going through the series at the moment and we're developing our series on Surviving the Cut or our special ops program, which is level two discipleship. I notice something when I'm watching these events because each selection course calls upon warriors that are already warriors. And they come into the selection course and they are physically, mentally, emotionally brutalized and taken through a process of training and yet every single one of them somehow or another has got something that they are able to go and ring the bell. I quit. So we know the famous SEALs, they've got to go and ring the bell three times and then as we've been watching each one of these programs, each person each different type of company have got a different system where you can cut yourself out. And I've noticed something about this, and Kellen showed me this the other day as well. There is a difference between those that actually overcome and those that ring the bell. You see, the people that ring the bell hold back just a little because they want to get through the whole course. The people that make it give 100% on this leg and they don't care about what's happening next. First group rings the bell. Second group gets the emblem, gets the soldier's mark. I press on. I think Paul was speaking to antinomianists here who try to come in and infiltrate the church with agnostic teaching. One of the aspects of this antinomianism teaching is to, to deny the law in any shape or form in the life of a Christian believer. To come along and say, listen, don't worry about walking around with that sin in your life, it's okay. God's going to forgive you. God's already forgiven you. It's okay. What they are saying, and this is very dangerous, is grace has done it all and will do it all. So there's no need for you to step into discipline, discipleship, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you to make you like Jesus. Paul is saying until the last breath I take you need to be like an athlete. Paul is saying until the last day of my life and the last breath I I breathe I need to be like a special forces soldier. I will continually press on until I'm finished. Telios. Anyone Who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to begin to understand that there is a basic training. There is a special forces training. You need to understand and you need to begin to change your attitude and change your mentality and begin to know the beauty and the joy of the effort, of the discipline. And of the agony, because all of that produces the soldier and the supreme athlete. You cannot walk into a gym and not use the equipment and get pain and suffering and think you're not going to get muscles. You cannot become an Olympic athlete if you're going to walk around the track in a slovenly manner, and when your coach comes to you and says, run, stop eating that because it's not conducive to your health, no, I will do this. You, you cannot expect to be an athlete. And don't even dare think you can pitch up at a special ops training straight off Civilian Street with absolute disregard and disrespect for the process of that institution. Please, do not allow a Babylonian wolf to rob you of your divine destiny, your divine mission, and the purpose of your very existence on this planet. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Now get up. Go into the city. You will be told what you will do. Do you notice? Every one of those things was a command. You walk into a church today and issue a command and oh, you wound so many people. Why? Antinomianism. Drug of choice of the entitlement church. Anyway, so according to the antinomianists, no further effort is needed. No further discipline is needed. No further discipleship. Jesus has done it all. My friend, very, very, very dangerous. Now, what I'm going to share with you is my own personal opinion. If you disagree with me, God bless you, like Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. And if, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't disagree with me. <laughs> I might get on my soapbox here because this is this is this, this, like this stuff really irritates me, big time. So please forgive me if I see if I get a bit angry. I really because studying the subject has really made me. I've gone through the motions of absolute grieving for the state of the church and where people are at to absolute raging anger. The antinomianists actually preach and teach a sinless gospel, all right? Seeker-friendly. Really, it's a very, very strong church growth movement that suggests that the church, and this is my opinion, needs to conform to the image of the world and change to become modern so that we can fit into society. That's Babylon. Society is Babylon. You've you've heard me preach on Babylon now so you understand fully exactly what Babylon is when I'm speaking. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully to me now. Let me disappoint you all. Any true preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be an offense to the Babylonians. And you can wrap it up. And you can put bows on it. You can perfume it. But when they open up that pure gospel, offense. You see, Jesus is an offense to the Babylonians and the Babylonian system. And the only way the Babylonians will accept Jesus is if he's agnostic Jesus. So the antinomians come along and they try to dress Jesus up and make him appealing to the world. It's like taking a politically incorrect soldier into a group of politically correct Let me stop there of my description. (laughs) And letting him loose on them. (laughs) So we decorate him. We disguise him. And we try and make him harmless. (laughs) So we can reach the unchurched Harry and Sally and draw them into the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 8 have a look on the screen a stone which is jesus that will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offense out of the amplified version they will stumble why because they disobey and disbelieve god's word as those who reject him were destined appointed to do so what we've got to reach harry and uh, harry and sally so Harry and Sally are in an immoral relationship. They're living together. Committing sexual immorality, fornication, sin. The dreaded three-letter word that we cannot mention. So now we're trying to take Jesus and present Him to Harry and Sally. Ah, oh, come on. Hey? I mean, the woman at the well tried to disguise herself. And Jesus says, where's your husband? Oh, well, yeah, do, 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 do. So now we try and disguise Jesus so that he doesn't commit, he, he doesn't offend Harry and Sally's sensibilities because they're living together. They're shacking up. They're in a sexually immoral relationship, If they're fornic- in fornication, they are sinning. And I'm telling you now, half the world now, ears are buzzing because I've now offended half the world. <laughs> are you trying to entertain them into the kingdom of God? Whatever happened to the spiritual biblical command where it says you come out from amongst them? 2 Corinthians 6.17. Have a look on the screen. So come out from unbelievers. Separate. Sever yourself from them, says the Lord, and touch not any unclean thing that I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor. I've said it once, I've said it a number of times. As far as I'm concerned, my personal belief is if you have a relationship with someone who is unsaved, that relationship must be primarily dominated by you presenting the gospel of the kingdom of God to them, and that is the only relationship that you should be having with them. How can you carry the light, going to heaven, Have a friendship relationship with someone where you're keeping this on the quiet and they're going to hell. You see, your Jesus was willing to become publicly humiliated. The king of kings was scourged. He was disgraced. He was spat on. He was made naked. He was pulverized beyond recognition for you so that you and I could come out of Babylon. The purpose of the church gathering together, the purpose of us gathering together is one, to worship God, and two, to prepare ourselves to go back into Babylon with the message of the gospel of the kingdom not to go and have a good time. I've spoken to you about the differences of believers in Babylon in the last Babylon series, Babylon 3, where I spoke to you about Lot, about his wife, daughter, and future son-in-laws, and I spoke to you about Daniel. you two different pictures of two styles of believers that live in Babylon. Which one are you? We don't exclude people who visit us. We don't exclude the unsaved who want to come in amongst us. We will welcome them in the spirit of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to compromise true worship of God. And we're not going to stop preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message will challenge them We will not stop inviting them to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and repenting and coming out from Babylon. And we will actually call them to name and repent of their sins. We're not going to stop that. You see, a visitor coming in amongst the believers needs to know that he is coming in amongst a group of people who actually represent a physical manifestation on earth of the kingdom of God. And that needs to have an expectation of a supernatural encounter, not an entertainment encounter. That person needs to be challenged with regards to lifestyle and lifestyle choices, because those choices and those lifestyles have an eternal consequence, because there is this thing called the law, and you break the law, you suffer the consequences of the law. And Jesus came to pay that for them. And taking agnostic, entertaining, dancing Jesus into their midst doesn't help them at all. And so the visitor needs to understand when you come in here, you actually come into a foreign land. Because here in the church, we represent the kingdom of God. Out there in the world is Babylon. You are coming into a foreign land and you are encountering ambassadors of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a difference. And you need to see it. You need to experience it. And antinomianism waters down this experience and says, hey, we're just like you. This is not the church trying to be like Babylon, that's going to attract them. It's the church representing the king of kings that's going to attract them. If a visiting Christian comes in from home and is looking for a home, brother, sister, you're welcome. But know this, you are coming into His Majesty's battleship, Lifehouse. You're not coming into the Babylonian luxury passenger cruise line of the happy seas. And I'm not your captain of the love boat. And my people are not waiters for you. Now, if this is foreign, that's okay. I hope it shocks them. I hope it shocks them, and I hope they begin to start to understand and get educated and begin to feel something going on in their hearts, which is called conviction, because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And our job is not to neutralize the effects of the, con- of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life by saying, Oh, don't worry about that. Jesus has got it taken care of. We do not have the right to truncate, shorten, or soften the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And when we take on antinomianism, that is exactly what we're doing when we're going to Babylon with that teaching. Now, we will make every effort to welcome people into our midst, but they need to understand, my friend, you're a guest in the house, and don't expect us to change true worship so that it makes you comfortable. If our true worship is making you uncomfortable, our response is praise God. Let the work of the Holy Spirit continue. If our teaching makes you feel uncomfortable and you feel in the fires of hell, boy, I wish I could preach like Spurgeon and make you cling and claw to the to the pews, thinking you're gonna slide into hell. Well, not these ones, because we don't own these ones. So if anyone grabs a seat here and tears it, it's on your own. <laughs> Just remember this. The message we represent is the message of the kingdom of God. And this message was not prepared to meet the wants of Babylon and the people of Babylon. This message was not prepared to to accommodate their bias. This message wasn't crafted cleverly to meet everybody's expectations and the wishes of the crowd. And so people are clapping in public applause and opinion. Jesus was not seeker-sensitive. He was not and antinomianist, And when Christ calls us to follow, he calls us to pick up our cross and to embrace with joy the agony, discipline, and effort of training in the school of the Holy Spirit so that he can produce Christ in us the hope of glory. Antinomianism, seeker-sensitive—they don't have a place for the cross. You see, because it's all comfort, it's all entertainment, it's all ease, it's all entitlement. And as as I've said, this is dangerous, and this is not what Jesus taught. Jesus Christ is more concerned about your eternal destiny and their eternal destiny than worrying about their temporary self-esteem. He doesn't mind if people get convicted of sin. He doesn't mind if people are falling down, wailing and confessing their sins. If it brings them to their knees in a conviction and repentance, he doesn't mind that. He wants that. He sent his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. He is far more interested in us doing things the way of his father than by satisfying the craving, lusts, and desires of the sinful flesh. So we've got to get back to basics here. Antinomianism and the churches that promote antinomianism, they do not seek to please God. They actually seek to please man. We are not told... To bring Babylon into the church, we are told to take Christ who is in us into Babylon and change them. If you've been listening to the Babylonian sections of this series and teachings <coughs> excuse me, you're going to realize that um, this is being taught in a large number of churches around the world, and there are a lot of people under this teaching. And the problem that they are going to face is that Babylon now is rising. It's on the rise. And because they don't read their Bible, they do not realize that Babylon, one of the reasons why God, and I've told you this, why God is judging Babylon is because Babylon kills the saints. She's rising, and she's coming after the church, you. But the message you carry terrifies her. But the message you carry is not antinomianism. It's not seeker-sensitive. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Antinomianism, seeker-friendly, Satan-friendly, sin-friendly, it's Babylonian. You need to come out. The Lord clearly says, come out from her so that you do not become a partaker of her sin and then be judged with her. Let us pray. If you've been part of a Babylonian system and you are asking yourself the question, what do I do next? The first thing you need to do is just pray and ask God to forgive you and set you free and give you an understanding and wisdom to find a group of disciples that will be able to train you into the things of God. I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, I just pray for each person that has heard this and has come to a realization that they might be under a Babylonian teaching, specifically a teaching that is just grace, grace, grace. And so they've gone through their Christian life without Come into a 1 John 1, 9 point where, Lord, we confess our sins, and because we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. And, Lord, I pray for them right now that you will lead them by your Holy Spirit into a, into a point of repentance where they will walk out from Babylon, walk out from her systems, sever all ties with her teachings, and that, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you will lead them and you will guide them into a place where discipleship is practiced and biblical truth has been preached and taught and that you will begin to equip them to become overcomers in your kingdom. I ask this for them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.